You know, Jehoshaphat was the seventh king of Judah. Now, this is fascinating because the question is, is Judah and Israel, two nations now, used to be one, are they together? Can they be promoted? Jehoshaphat thought so. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembrick. I'm Janice. And what about that? A name, this is Bible Discovery TV, and we read in the Bible a name, Jehoshaphat. Uh, that's an amazing name. But anyway, that's the name of a king. We're going to talk about him in about half an hour of time is what this program is. And in a few minutes, we're going to talk about him as we continue to study First Kings in, in the 20s, 22. It's going to be very, very interesting. Corey is here with Ryan. Corey? Well, I'm going to be taking a look at Ahab and Je Jezebel's unlawful seizing of Naboth's vineyard. Ryan? As promised, today I'm continuing on with my study of Neanderthal man and how they've broken evolutionary and cultural stereotypes. All right, Janice? Be different. Okay, very good. First Kings 22, verses 13 through 28. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please, let your word be like the word of one of them, and speak encouragement. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, Shall we go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? Then Micaiah said, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand, and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will persuade Ahab to go up, that he may fall at Ramoth-Gilead? So one spoke in this manner, and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, In what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, You shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours, and the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now Zedekiah, the son of Canaanah, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the Spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? And Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. So the king of Israel said, 
take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison, and feed him with the bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, If you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Take heed, all you people. 1 Kings chapter 22, verses 13 through 28. First Kings 21, First Kings 22. These are two chapters that we continue to read as we go through the Bible for the 32nd time. This is very, very interesting. Now, Jehoshaphat, he was the seventh king of Judah, was trying to build peace between the Judean kingdom and the kingdom to the north called Israel. Remember that Rehoboam had split the kingdom of Israel after his father Solomon died. Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Now the events surrounding the split included the northern nation who rejected any Levitical rule. However, the prophets still spoke the word of God during these times. One such prophet was a man by the name of Micaiah. He was summoned at the insistence of Jehoshaphat, who demanded a real prophet to inquire of the Lord. When Jehoshaphat was attempting as the king of Judah to strike peace between the two nations, he was convinced to go to battle with Israel. Don't know why. It was a very bad move, but he would live through it. And we read about the events that were resolved before they went to war at Ramoth Gilead in today's passage of scripture. And as we look at this today, it's interesting because we are going the second set of verses in 1 Kings 22, beginning with verse 13. And remember, if you don't have a Bible guide, you can call or you can write to us and get your Bible guide. We'd love to hear from you. Another way you can get in contact with us is go to Bible Discovery TV and click on the page. It'll take you to a donate page. Let me say thank you for your donations. We very much appreciate them tremendously here. But uh, let me just say that when you do that, it'll take you to a page where you can download just like we printed. So it's very, very good. Now, let's pray. Father, we're going to talk about speaking the truth. Help us, Lord, to hear what you're saying in truth. Help us, Lord, not to get all involved in, uh, you know, turning it off and denying this and denying that. But help us to listen to what you say because we believe that there is objective truth in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's what we pray. And we all said together, amen. Now look at the passage, 1 Kings 22, verse 13. Here is what it says. It says, Then the messengers who had gone to call Micah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets, with one accord, encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of those or the word of one of them and speak encouragement, Micah. And Micah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Well, then he came to the king and the king said to him, Micah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall we refrain? And he answered him, 
Go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. So the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Now, this is interesting because Micah was known for telling the truth about what God said. Now, beloved, we must be known for speaking only God's truth. Did you hear that? We must be known for speaking only God's truth. And especially today in the nation of Canada, we need to hear that. In the nation of the United States of America, in the nation of South Africa, in the nation of Australia, we need to hear that. May God help us, beloved, to speak his truth and only his truth, not our opinions, but the truth of the Lord. First Kings chapter 22, verse 17 says, Then he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? Then Micah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner. And another spoke in that manner. And then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. And the Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Wow, that's intense. A lying spirit was sent to trick Ahab. Lying spirits are still around, beloved. We must hear and know God's word. I want to tell you, there are lying spirits at work today in media and social media and every other kind of media you can imagine. Now, that doesn't mean that they're always lies, but there are lying spirits around and they are lying. It's a spiritual thing. And so, beloved, that's why we need to understand the Bible and read the word of God. Now, watch this. Isaiah chapter 22, 24 to 28. Now, Zedekiah, the son of Kaniah, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you? Micaiah said, Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. And so the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return him to Amnon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. Wow. That's intense. You see, beloved, true prophets of God always speak the truth. Always speak the truth. When the truth is good or when the truth is bad, we must speak God's truth. Beloved, listen carefully. He knew 
that he was going back to a place where it would not be good for him. He did not try to lie and make it better for himself because the betterment of himself was not his goal. His goal was to speak the word of God. And beloved, today, our goal must be able to speak what God said, how God said it. Because we can speak, and if the Lord didn't say it that way, it means something different. But beloved, we need to hear the word of God and trust the Lord to speak through us. So Father, I want to pray today that you would bring the spirit of truth inside of us, inside the people who are watching, who are concerning themselves with this. Help us not to get involved in conspiracy theory ideas, but help us to know that there are many lying spirits out there and help us to hear the truth from your word and hear the truth from your Holy Spirit about politics and about all of the things in this world. We need to hear it today, Lord. We need to become people who are aware of how God is working and he is. Lord, you are working today, how you're working right now. In the name of Jesus Christ and all of us said together, amen. Hi, Rod Hembry. We go through the Bible in one year. It's exciting. It's great. And you can join us by searching Bible Discovery TV on your phone. That's right. On your phone, your iPhone or your Android phone. And when you do so, you'll find the app. You can download the app and watch it anytime you want. Never miss a program right here on Bible Discovery TV. We'll see you there. Today in my segment, I'm continuing on with yesterday's study of Neanderthals in which it was demonstrated that they were full-fledged human beings just like you and me. And today we continue to break cultural stereotypes as we examine Neanderthals' cultural inventory. Now it's a bit of a longer segment, so let's jump into it. Since their discovery in the 1850s, Neanderthals had, up until recently, been regarded by the majority of evolutionists as more of an animal rather than a human being. One of the main reasons for this was due to their seemingly sparse cultural inventory. However, claiming that Neanderthals or any such group is subhuman just because they apparently lack cultural inventory is a completely invalid assumption. This is obvious when we consider that there are modern era people groups such as Aboriginal Tasmanians or nomadic tribes living today in Africa who until recently have had a very limited cultural inventory, arguably less advanced than that of Neanderthals, yet no one denies their humanity. Probably then, Neanderthals so-called inferior cultural inventory is a reflection of their hunter-gatherer lifestyle or possibly due to a loss of technology rather than a reflection of their cognitive abilities. Even so, over the years it has been realized that Neanderthals did in fact have a quite impressive cultural inventory and possessed cognitive abilities at least on par with modern Homo sapiens. For example, we now know that Neanderthals had human language, symbolic communication, and even abstract thinking. They had tailored clothing and footwear demonstrating that they had the ability to sew they made ropes and cords with their knot-making skills, and being expert hunters of large game meant that they were clearly able to strategize beforehand their plan of attack. They also crafted sophisticated stone and bone tools, as well as multi-part or hafted weapons. Remains of fireplace hearths reveal that they had controlled use of fire, 
and the fact that they had highly varied diets, could cook and fillet their food, as well as dry out fresh meat, shows that they were experienced chefs to boot. Also, although Neanderthals are generally always thought of as cavemen, in what is yet another breakaway from cultural stereotypes, they didn't always live in caves. In fact, some constructed shelters or windbreaks as dwellings. But interestingly, those who did choose to live in caves often partitioned their dwellings into different living floors and spaces. But their greatest technological achievement was their ability to synthesize pitch from birch bark through the controlled use of fire. They would use this pitch as a type of adhesive to haft tools and weapons. But experts are at a loss to explain just how Neanderthals were able to perform such a sophisticated process, recognized by chemists today as dry distillation. Of course, as human beings, Neanderthals weren't just physical creatures, but like us, they too were spiritual. They cared about things like music, beauty, and art. This is seen through their use of jewelry and cosmetics, as well as their production of cave art, sculptures, and musical instruments. Yet their single most defining human feature was their care for the injured, weak, and elderly, and the ceremonial burial of the dead. Only humans bury their dead, and this single discovery would be enough to put the final nail in the coffin of the evolutionary and cultural stereotypes of Neanderthal man. Neanderthal, like every human being, was no animal, but rather was specially and uniquely created in the very image of God. So I really do hope that this brief two-part study on Neanderthals helped to dispel the myth that they were something less than human. The reality is that there is no difference between modern humans and Neanderthals. In fact, many evolutionary experts themselves have come to believe that, and that the term Neanderthal should be dropped, and that they should just be called Homo sapiens like we are. And I 100% agree. But we also need to be aware of how and why this false view of Neanderthals developed in the first place. It was due to an evolutionary worldview. Now, believe it or not, your starting assumptions have a huge effect on how scientific data is interpreted. And even though many evolutionists today would now agree that Neanderthals were fully human, we do need to realize that they were very wrong about this in the past. And so it begs the question, what else are they wrong about? And it's really an important question. But there is a solution to all of this confusion. Rather than look at everything through the evolutionary lens, which is false, we need to view the world through the lens of God's word, which is right and true. When we do this, things become clearer. If scientists had initially viewed Neanderthals through the lens of scripture, they would have immediately realized that they were human beings just like us, and that they were post-flood and probably post-Babel people who lived in some very harsh climates. Yeah, that's very interesting, and, and that's the what, what Satan tries to do. He does not try to move things, what we believe, uh, dramatically, but a little bit at a time. Mm -hmm. And with the change a hundred years ago of how to see this and read this in the public, people have difficulties now looking at the back, looking, you know, back to the beginning mm -hmm. of what it's all about. That's very Absolutely. interesting, right? Corey? All right. Well, I'm going to be focusing in on 1 Kings chapter 21 because something really interesting and tragic happens in this chapter. So King Ahab and Queen Jezebel are ruling on the throne of northern Israel from their palace and their capital city of Samaria. And Ahab um, wants a, a vineyard that's close to the palace 
because he wants to use it as a vegetable garden. So it'll help, you know, uh, with the, the, the meals of the palace. It's going to help with that. So he approaches the owner, whose name is Naboth, and Naboth, very rightly, does not want to sell this vineyard because it was given to his family as an inheritance, you know, way back at the founding of Israel. And so he doesn't want to give this up. Now, long story short, Ahab and Jezebel come up with a conspiracy to get Naboth assassinated. And this ends up with the prophet of God actually cursing Ahab to the same fate uh, of Naboth, that, you know, he would die and that the dogs would lick up his blood just as the dogs were currently licking up Naboth's murdered blood. Uh, so this is a, a very brutal story. However, archaeologists working in and around the area of Samaria have found some really interesting things that might relate. Take a look. The city of Jezreel belonged to northern Israel and seems to have been a very important place during the Omri dynasty, the kings of Israel descendant from King Omri. Omri's family history with Jezreel begins in the Bible with King Ahab and Queen Jezebel murdering a man for his vineyard. Naboth's vineyard is said to have been next to their palace in Jezreel. It was his family's land. Later in their history, Ahab and Jezebel's son becomes king and is fighting a war in Ramoth-Gilead. When he's injured, he comes back to Jezreel, but a usurper was on his tail. Jehu, a commander in the Israelite military, had come to take the throne. When the king rode out to meet him, Jehu killed him with an arrow and had his body dumped in Naboth's vineyard as a symbol of divine justice for Ahab and Jezebel's earlier evil. Jehu then entered the city where he was confronted by Jezebel and he had her thrown down from an upper window and murdered. This bloody history implies Jezreel's importance as a military outpost. There's a royal structure there, it was used as a home base in times of war, and was surrounded by lush cultivated land that could grow food and wine to supply an army. Archaeological work has confirmed that Jezreel was a strongly fortified city with a large rectangular city wall, complete with a tower on each corner and a deep artificial moat. Its history also leaves us hints to the location of Naboth's vineyard. Traveling from the battlefront, Jehu would have approached from the east and met Joram in Naboth's vineyard. During surveys and excavations of this area, archaeologists uncovered a large ancient winery to the east of Jezreel. Dug right into the bedrock that ensured its survival, it was a treading floor and two carved vats to hold the freshly squeezed wine. Wineries like this could have been in use for hundreds and thousands of years as long as there was someone cultivating vineyards. These were permanent, cut right into the earth. And while the structures that would have surrounded this installation have long since deteriorated, it can't be coincidence that right outside the city of Jezreel, to the east, is evidence of a large ancient winery and vineyard exactly where the Bible said one was. So there we go, really interesting information about that area that has been discovered today, potentially Naboth's very vineyard. That is fascinating, <laughs> Corey, really good stuff. Jen? Be different is what I titled my segment today. Um, this is a great scene about a prophet named Micaiah. We have Jehoshaphat coming together with King Ahab, and they want to know whether they should go and take Ramoth Gilead. And so Jehoshaphat says, bring in the prophets. We need to hear what God says on the matter. So they bring in the prophets. 
And Jehoshaphat's not satisfied with that. He said, can, can we get a real prophet of the Lord? And you've read the story. King Ahab was like, ah, oh, well, there's one that I know, but he, he always says bad things. He always says bad things, and I don't like him. And Jehoshaphat's like, you shouldn't talk that way. So they send a man to go and get Micaiah. And I can just imagine this, this man. And if you, you look down in verse 13, then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him saying, now listen, The words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of them and speak encouragement. He's just thinking we need to avoid the drama. Can you just agree with whatever the prophets say? And Micaiah is known, even as we hear from the king, Micaiah was the one that stood up for the truth. And a lot of times we don't want to hear the truth or we get so involved in our culture that we don't even know what the truth is. And the truth isn't very readily uh, accepted, especially sometimes from the word of God. But Micaiah answers this messenger come to get him and says, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Micaiah's response was in faithfulness and in truth to represent God in truth. He, he, he chose not to just say something to make somebody feel good. Often, truth in God's word is counterculture, and it's difficult for people to hear. Now, the best way that we can demonstrate, it's not necessarily with our words, but with our actions. Now, the only way that we can do that as living representatives of the Lord is by knowing what his word says, by knowing what his character is. And that's not just knowing the laws, but it's what the new covenant is all about. It's having those written on our heart, knowing that and applying it. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as we love ourselves. And the only way that we can do that is with the help of God. Because I don't know about you, but when I get involved in things that are very dramatic, sometimes I can respond wrongly. It's easy to do that. But let's ask God, as followers of Christ, that he would help us, even and especially in those situations where we might be quick to speak rather than slow to speak and quick to listen, to help us with that self-control that we need and to be different, to live the word in word and action. Today, as we close the program, think about this. Let's pray today. Let's say, I pray that I would make time to know and read through the Bible with prayer. Father, help me today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. 
Now, also you can pray with us Monday through Friday. That's Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 3.30 to 4.30 on Facebook, YouTube, or Bible Discovery. Join us.